This is Archie Goodwin of the Phoenix Suns. You are listening to the BS of the Suns podcast, where they are always feeling the fire. Welcome, welcome. Episode 67 here of the BS of the Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun and SB Nation. Um, obviously, big thanks to Archie Goodwin. Just unprompted, unprovoked, and definitely not with a sheet of paper shoved in his face at Media Day with a nice little endorsement there of the BS of the Suns podcast here. I mean, just by the way he read that, he got that in one take. It was great. It was good stuff. I appreciate Archie out there with the endorsement. But um, back to what we're here for. This is Chris Habis, as always, here on the podcast. Uh, Dave King is on the line with me as well. We just got back from watching the Phoenix Suns with their first preseason win, knocking off Flamengo 100-88, to I believe, was the final score. And I should know that because I was just at the game, and that was the final score. And Dave, this podcast is brought to you by Dedication because it's 11 o'clock at night, and we just got back from pregame stuff, covering the game, postgame stuff. We actually worked a little bit tonight. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. i got to get myself back into game shape for sure. I haven't done a game in uh, four and a half months now, and I am not used to being up and on my feet and active and, and thinking and using my head and my and my feet and all that and, until 10, 11 o'clock at night. This is crazy stuff, Chris. What are you doing to me? Uh, you know what? I don't sleep. You know that. So that's kind of part of the problem there. But I'm glad you mentioned that because we joked about it. Like Randy Hill of Fox, we were we always talk with at the games and, and yourself and me. I do the Mercury over the summer. So not to tap myself on the back or say I'm, I'm in better game shape here at, in media row than anybody else. But um, what is that like? And what do you mean by you need to get back into game shape? We're not talking about getting on the court. We wouldn't last two minutes with these elite athletes out there. But what is it like getting back into game shape as a media guy? Well, you got to be totally routine. I work all day, uh, and then I go straight over to the arena. I, you know, we participate in the coaches' pregame comp- press conference. Then we eat a little bit of dinner. Then we watch the players warm up. Then we watch the entire game while we're tweeting and making notes and comments and stuff like that. And then posting the recap, and then going down immediately and jumping downstairs and back to the coaches' postgame conference, and then interviewing players. And then recapping everything uh, if we want to, or, or making sure we got the right audio, and then driving home. And by that time, I've been up for about 18 straight hours. And for me, I'm I'm, I'm not the youngest guy in the world, and and uh, that that does add up for me. Yeah, we got to do some mental jumping jacks to get ready to ask coaches and players questions after the game that maybe might be fresher than what they've heard a million times through training camp. And yeah, not sound like we're complaining. We love doing what we do. We wouldn't be going to these games and covering them and doing what we do if we didn't love it. So yeah, getting ourselves back in a midseason form, I, I kind of find myself doing that when the transition from the Suns to the Mercuries, it's a different, it's basketball, but it's different. So getting used to, you know, that environment versus the Suns environment, Mercury more intimate, the, or intimate, the Suns environment a little bit more like broad and widespread, a lot more media, a lot more people and, and things going on. But it was nice getting back in the fold, seeing all the, the normal faces. Um, missing some faces is kind of a bummer. You know, Brett from NBC is not there anymore. Kevin Zimmerman of Valley of the Suns was lazy and he didn't show up. So calling them out on the podcast because obviously they're big listeners. But let's switch over. Let's talk about the game. Um, not not the cleanest game in the world, especially when you talk about probably the first 30 to 36 minutes of this game. What, what was your main takeaways, your overall thought process on this game now that you had a chance to digest it for about an hour? Yeah, um, the the team didn't come out at all ready to play, and the coach mentioned that after the game. He said he saw they saw it in warmups in the morning. They were worried that the team was going to just 
kind of go through the motions because this is not an NBA team they played. Uh, these players had no idea who they were playing, and, and they just expected it to be a typical uh, Euro-South American type team that doesn't have the same athleticism and is pretty easy to beat. They just watched Team USA just dominate all their competition in the World Cup, and they must have just thought they were going to come in and dominate uh, Flamingo. In fact, none of us have even heard of Flamingo before, probably, uh, before tonight, except for the except for the really, really, really big international basketball fans. So, uh, you know, the, the players after the game even said, uh, Eric Bledsoe said, gosh, you know, got to the second half, and we just didn't want to be the Spurs, who, by the way, just lost to a team from Berlin tonight uh, on the last basket. They didn't want to be the next team to lose to a non-NBA team, so they were just happy with the win. But that's where the mentality changed. They went in going in thinking they were going to have a 30-point win, ending up with, gosh, I hope we just don't become the Spurs tonight and lose. So it was it was a good finish, but a frustrating game overall. Yeah, you know what? You you can say that, and you can knock Berlin, but shout-out to Niles Gafai and the, the UConn Huskies National Championship you know, sharpshooter out there with uh, with Berlin. But, yeah, I mean, you, do, you don't want that. I mean, that's kind of a... One of those things where probably going into the regular season, if you have friends on other teams and, and they walk up to you in the pregame and you're shaking hands and they go, so you lost to Flamengo, huh? You know, I mean, that's that's one of those things where I'm sure that the players are kind of cognizant of and want to maybe not necessarily do. Flamengo's a good team. They, they, they won some games. They won a championship out there internationally. And like you said, if you're a diehard international guy, you know those guys. But for the most part, I mean, Walter Herman, um, you know, Derek Character. There's a few guys that have had some NBA, you know, here and there's. But a lot of those guys are just European guys and, and folks that are from Brazil and don't really have a lot of NBA roots. And this is a team that they should have dispatched pretty easily, but it took you know, the energy group in the fourth quarter basically to run away. I mean, Flamengo was up 64 to 63 midway through the third quarter. You probably wouldn't have thought that on paper before this game started, right? No, not at all. I don't think anybody thought that on paper for sure. Uh, but these guys played well. They they knew how to play basketball. And the Suns uh, weren't ready for a team to play smart basketball. So Flamengo had had a few months off after they won their championship and they had a couple warm-up games last month, uh, just a couple of weeks ago against Maccabi, uh, who, Maccabi Haifa, I think, who uh, came to Phoenix last year yeah. um, to get ready for NBA tours. And, and uh, so they were ready to go a lot more than the Suns were. But I tell you, um, the Suns should have been able to blow this team out. They, they showed spurts of speed, uh, certainly Eric Bledsoe, Archie Goodwin, guys like that showed a little bit of bursts of speed at, at different times. And then finally Isaiah Thomas and Gerald Green got hot and started actually playing like NBA players like the rest of the team should have been. Uh, and the team was able to pull away. The Suns got up by 14 and everything was a was a cruise after that. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, the, the energy. So one of the things that Coach said was, I saw it in shoot-around, going through the motions, good thing we are deep. So there's paraphrasing kind of a larger quote that he had there talking about the energy and the effort that he kind of saw it and shoot around. He knows that this team was more or less going through the motions and the fact that this is a deep athletic team was allowed them to go through waves and have that run that put away Flamengo there in the fourth quarter. When you look at this team, kind of with the way that the starting lineup was put together, and, and I understand why the starting lineup was made with, you know, Marcus and Markeith, Miles, Goran and Eric you don't really have a lot of fire starters in that starting lineup. I mean, Miles is an energetic guy, but I don't think he's an energy player per se. You know, you have most of your energy guys like Gerald Green, Isaiah Thomas, P.J. Tucker. Even Archie Goodwin showed some some nice flashes of being maybe an energy player that you can use in the rotation this season from uh, the scrimmage all the way to this game. 
they don't really have a lot of energy fire starters in that starting lineup. Is that something to be concerned about going into the remainder of the preseason and start of the season? Oh, yeah. I think uh, definitely what, what really helped the Suns last year was having P.J. Tucker in that starting in that starting lineup. Um, so, I mean, you've got Eric Bledsoe who can play with energy, but he's not a fire starter, like you said. So you need someone like a P.J. Tucker, and you can't put all the energy guys on the second unit and all the even-keeled uh, quiet guys on the first unit. That's just not going to work. So I think tonight was an experiment. I'll bet we see a totally different, not totally different, but a somewhat different starting lineup on Friday and then a somewhat different starting lineup next week on Monday. Uh, and then after that, Coach Hornacek will start settling down into a, an actual starting lineup by uh, the first game of the season. But then on the first game of the season, P.J. Tucker's out for three games because of the suspension for a super extreme DUI over the summer, which he doesn't seem to have recovered from entirely yet. I mean, the guy has to get in, um, get into basketball shape after, after the summer, like a lot of the guys do there. It seemed like there's too few guys in total basketball shape ready to go tonight uh, compared to what we had heard all summer that they were working out constantly. And maybe that, maybe that's not true. Maybe they were just low on energy, uh, Coach said that he, they were looking kind of tired when they shouldn't have been. So maybe they're just a little bit out of it tonight. But uh, they certainly look like they could use uh, some more games in the preseason for warm-up. Yeah. I, this is kind of a random question. We didn't really talk about this or go over this in our um, massive elaborate production meeting that lasted probably 20 seconds. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that maybe Coach uses that three position as a revolving door during the preseason to figure out where he wants to go in terms of starting this year? Because the backcourt is the backcourt. And with how thin the front court is, that's not really going to change. And if it does, it, it's not going to be for the better. Is that three position kind of wide open? Maybe seeing Marcus, Gerald, PJ, kind of looking at all these guys and seeing what they look like with the starting lineup? Uh, you know, that's a good question. And certainly, like I said, uh, because of the suspension, you're going to have to uh, try different guys. Uh, definitely at that three spot early in the season. But I think ultimately, PJ Tucker is the right mix. And he proved it last year. P.J. Tucker's the right mix next to Goran and Eric. When I was skeptical of it a year ago, if you remember, I said there's no way they could start P.J. Tucker with Goran and Eric because uh, he can't spread the floor. Well, now he can make his corner three. At least he's shooting it uh, this year. I haven't seen him quite make it yet. Uh, but that was only in a scrimmage in a preseason game. Last year he made 41% from the corner. So I think or even even a little bit higher from the corner three. So uh, he is a good he is a good floor spreader from that corner, and he's a great energy guy on defense that does need to be in that starting lineup. So while Hornacek may experiment a little bit, I'm pretty sure he'll end up back at PJ Tucker by by uh, the fourth game of the season. I think so too. It's it's not necessarily going to be Channing Fry, Markeith Morris. You know, you got punished, so you start. And I mean that ended up working out positively for the Suns because. Markeith ended up being the you know perennial sixth man of this team and you would think for large chunks of the season a lot of people nationally and locally would consider Markeith maybe an, uh, the sixth man of the year for chunks of last season I don't want to say the whole season because you know people jump out and you know there are some guys that had more overall seasons but you know Markeith played well in his starting role they didn't have his uh, quote-unquote replacement Anthony Tolliver playing he's going to get kind of reevaluate he's more or less day to day to see if he's going to get back in the game there and Alex Len is going to be a guy who gets reevaluated here in about a week or so to see if he's going to be able to get on the court in the preseason 
this the the front court against Flamingo, we can pick and nitpick and attack it and say, you know, all the negative things about it, the rebounding, the energy, the defense overall. But it was about as thin as this front court is ever going to look during the regular season because all they had was Markeef, uh, Shavlik Randolph, Miles Plumley, and then linchpin guys to throw in there at the four position. What did you think overall of the front court in this game overall? Well, certainly the front court didn't rebound very well. Uh, Plumley had an awful game. I don't know what happened to him. He just he was not engaged in this game at all. I think he might have. It's possible he got discouraged when his early offensive moves didn't work out for him the way he was hoping they would. But he was totally indecisive from the opening tip tonight, and he certainly didn't grab or last night by the time you listen to this podcast. He certainly didn't grab uh, any rebounds when he could have. He's, he was about the biggest guy on the court, if not the biggest. So he should have been able to grab a bunch of rebounds. He didn't do that either. Uh, where the Suns are going to need help, as we were talking about, Chris Chris and I earlier, is that the guards are going to have to help out. And uh, Chris might be even writing up a feature article on that pretty soon. Um, even more so, or at least as much as last year, the guards are going to have to help rebound because our big guys are not going to be great rebounders. Keith has never been an awesome rebounder. He's been an average one, but not an awesome one. And uh, if your backups are Marcus Morris, Anthony Tolliver, and Alex Lynn for a few minutes while he's recovering from another broken pinky, uh, you're going to have trouble with the rebounding. So I, I think the front court is average. It's okay. It'll pass and the backcourt is going to win the games uh but certainly the the Suns could look for more improvement from tonight that's for sure yeah I let's put it this way with the rebounding and we'll get into that more in depth with words and writing and, and not necessarily too deep in this podcast but the leading rebounder for the Phoenix Suns this game was Marcus Morris and in the first half it was tremendous he had six rebounds he was on top of things it, it was it was really fantastic to see he finished the game with seven rebounds he was the leading rebounder on the team as a whole and and they got tortured a little bit offensively or on the offensive glass I should say by Flamengo I mean they were out there doing a great job rebounding the ball offensively their, their number was eight they only have eight offensive rebounds but I remember every single one of them because they were all significant <laughs> obvious and bad like when you remember the offensive rebounds that's something where it's like okay what were you doing wrong what's going on there with you closing out your defensive possessions they did a bad job at that I think partially because of the depth I mean like I said we can nitpick and poke at it but they're without Alex Len they're without Anthony Tolliver neither are guys that are gonna you know dominate on the offensive glass or, or dominate the glass in general or be defensive catalysts per se but their bodies they're they're gonna limit the minutes that Miles has to play or the time that Marcus and Marquise are playing the four and the five respectively so I think that'll be big um, one of the big other things that I noticed with this game was uh, about four minutes to go in the game, we finally see the rookies, um, and I'm going to throw out all three of them. It's Zoran, Tyler, and TJ finally get a look at the three you know, new faces, more or less, and the guys that everyone was probably really excited to see get some minutes. They got in with like three to four minutes to go. It was too bad that we didn't have like a top five pick caliber big man you know that can go out there and maybe play the center with all those young guys and throw out all of our youth and kind of showcase them but you know we're at least able to get the perimeter out there and see what they look like what did you think of the young guys in their short minutes uh well interesting i'll I'll take that from a couple of points of view first of all we were totally surprised that the rookies weren't even put in until four minutes left yes this is the opening game of preseason against a non-nba team that who cares if you win or not but you know what it does matter to Coach Tornasek. He admitted it after the game. He's like, I don't care what game it is. I want to win. 
and he was just getting so frustrated with the uh, lack of energy from his starters and his and his best rotation players that he just couldn't see himself putting in the rookies until the game was finally uh, in hand. And unfortunately for the Suns, the game wasn't really finally in hand until four minutes were left. So uh, then he all of a sudden said, okay, fine, we got a 13-point lead with four minutes left. Let's put in the rookies. And he put in Ennis and, and Warren, and immediately Tyler Ennis has turnovers on the first two times he touches the ball. But then after that, he really settled down, and he had some nice passes, nice setup uh, passes, and uh, he, made a, he made a little floater. And then T.J. Warren grabbed a rebound or two and made a three-pointer, which we all know T.J. Warren is a dead-eye three-point shooter, so that was a perfect opening for him. Then finally Zoran Dragic comes in, and he got the biggest ovation of the night. I mean, that, that crowd, first of all, the crowd wasn't as big at the end of the game as it was at the beginning. It wasn't big all night. But, but even toward that end of the game, with two minutes left when Zoran got in there, it was, it was even less than its capacity for the evening. And Zoran got the biggest, loudest cheers of the night. I was wondering if there was a Slovenian section out there. And after the game, Goran was asked about that in the locker room. He said, yeah, I was kind of jealous. He was joking about it, but but still at the same time, that's that's how it was. You had the whole starting lineup being introduced. You had other guys come in. Gerald Green got a got a better than a golf clap ripple when he came in. Isaiah Thomas got a little bit better than a golf clap ripple, but Zoran got the biggest emotion, uh, ovation of the night, and then he immediately cans a three on uh, the first time he touches the ball. So. I think it was a good night for the rookies in terms of they did they all did something well enough to take home with them, uh, but I wish they would have gotten more minutes. Yeah, I agree, and I, I kind of joked on Twitter that Zoran got the kind of crowd pop or crowd reaction, um, like if he was the Drogic that scored 23 points in the fourth quarter against the San Antonio Spurs in a playoff game that ended uh you know ended a rivalry and knocked them out of the playoffs but you know it was, it was just his first game and it was a very modest crowd it was kind of like you know a smaller crowd preseason game against flamingo you know it's not going to draw a full capacity but yeah i mean he got an insane pop i thought gerald green got i don't know if it was like kind of an ironic pop but like let's talk about the crowd for a minute one i couldn't tell if they were booing the morai every time they were at the free throw line marcus and marquis respectively every time they came up i couldn't tell if they were saying mook or you know keith or if it was booze like i couldn't tell genuinely and gerald green gets this weird pop and the crowd is always chanting for him to dunk and shoot it was almost like it, it to me it felt like a professional wrestling crowd where the crowd was trying to like snarkily get involved in the action and try and make Go themselves the, the highlight doing things yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the, the crowd was interesting and then we also of course you know in in media row where we sit back there we we always get the most interesting fans in the world sitting directly behind us and one lady that was just all for screaming at every single possible opportunity so i mean this crowd was <laughs> it was interesting zoran got a crazy good pop they were all behind gerald green like he was the savior of the city and uh, and then we had the crazy lady behind us just shrieking and yelling for everything left and right under the sun. It was almost like just she couldn't control what was going on. She was just blurting and shrieking everything out. Yeah, she was shrieking her loudest, I think, during free throws. Yeah. Come on, make that free throw! <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was, it was quite interesting, but it was kind of a sparse crowd. It was almost like a, a pickup game that happened, and, and people on the street were, warned, were told, you know, word of mouth to go in there and watch the pickup game. Because uh, it was, I, I think the crowd was probably about the same as about 20% full at the best, maybe 30. Um, but you know, it's a free, it's a basically a free game. Uh, the ticket holders, season ticket holders came, 
And uh, it was it was interesting basketball to watch at times, and at other times you can understand why not everybody came. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it was it was interesting in that respect. It was eight thousand or so. Were I mean eight thousand forty one was the reported number here at the the final box score. So I, I'm not sure what capacity is at the uh, the unnamed arena. I'm not going to call it USAC anymore. It's it's the unnamed arena until they figure that out there. Um, but yeah, I mean it was an interesting crowd. It was an interesting game overall. Like. With this game, I don't think you can take a ton from it. This is one of those games where, you know, Goran Dragic shot two for nine. Is he going to be that kind of a percentage shooter? Is he going to shoot the ball 20-25% for the entire season? No, no, he's not going to shoot it that way. He's not going to score six points and have one assist and have very, very, very little impact on the game. But, I mean, there were some things to definitely take away from. I, I, I liked the energetic scoring and burst ability that Isaiah Thomas and Gerald Green are going to have. And then when you throw Anthony Tolliver in the mix there, you know, three guys that are capable of shooting 40% from three for an entire season, as long as they're taking their shots, you have three guys coming off the bench, as long as maybe you can fill in the gaps there, you can, you know, you know, slide in some, some mortar in between those three players there of defensive intangibles and energy and rebounding. Those three guys can really cause some havoc. And we saw it in this game with Isaiah Thomas finishing at the rim, knocking down shots. Gerald Green doing the same thing, you know, knocking down shots and doing that weird, freaky athletic thing where he hangs in the air for longer than any human being should be able to. So I think those two, they're going to, and then Anthony Tolliver, I think those three are really going to be a nice little bench trio in terms of scoring. And if PJ's coming off the bench for him, he kind of, you know, solidifies them a little bit with his defensiveness, his, his toughness, his rebounding ability. Um, with this backup unit there, do you do you like that mix there? Do you think that they're missing something, or or is that backup group right there going to potentially solidify this team and identify with them? Well, I think you I think you just hit it right there. Uh, that backup group is made to be firepower off the bench. Uh, if you've got Joe Green and Isaiah Thomas and Anthony Tolliver who can do the spot up shots after, when those guys need to kick the ball back out. Um, and, you know, if P.J. Tucker does spend some time with that unit, that's definitely uh, a unit that will spark some turnarounds in games. And, and it's quite possible that the Suns will do that. I remember several years ago when you, you had the aging Nash and, and uh, you know, the, the full-time starters like Amari and, and, and guys like that, um, that started the game and were pretty good. Uh, but then you had your energy coming off the bench and the big-time energy coming from Goran and uh, Dudley uh, and Channing Fry and all that were off the, off the bench as a bench unit could turn games around back in 2010 uh, when the starters weren't having their way. And it could be that that's, that's the way this is uh, this year. And in, in the starting unit, you've got a, a defensive demon. I mean, I was watching him closely tonight. Eric Bledsoe is just awesome on-ball defense. And uh, Goran Dragic is passable. Uh, you've got Marquise Morris and Miles Plumlee that are passable on defense as well, maybe slightly above average for Plumlee. So, yeah, maybe you do get away with a Gerald Green or a Marcus Morris in that starting lineup <clears throat> so that P.J. Tucker can spend some time with the second unit and provide defense there. Uh, maybe that's the way you go, but I think more likely P.J. Tucker is the spark, like we were saying earlier, the emotional spark for the front, for the starting unit to uh, get ahead in games and then you got the firepower off the bench in case you need it, and certainly for the excitement. Because I remember going through stretches last year where it was a 0-0 tie uh, after four minutes of the second unit coming in because they could play a little bit of defense, but they couldn't score at all. 
So this time it'll be a little bit opposite, and I think it'll be more fun to watch. Now, when you talk about the guard trio, everyone's question is, how are you going to play three-point guards? For the zillionth time, Goran is one guard, Eric is a second guard, and Isaiah is the reserve guard. It, it, you know, it's not three point guards. It's, you know, this is the backcourt and then Isaiah is the reserve. Like we've talked about before, you know, like Amin El Hassan of ESPN kind of broke down. So the way that the minutes broke down was that, and, and this has a lot to do with the energy though. I don't think this is going to be obviously representative of what's going to happen in the season, but you know, 22 and a half minutes for Eric, 24 and a half minutes for Goran, 21 minutes for Isaiah. And I think that those minutes are going to end up accelerating a little bit because you saw Archie Goodwin and Gerald Green combine for 36 and a half minutes overall on the court. I think that's probably going to get cut in half when the regular season starts and the rotation tightens up. But Isaiah, Gorin, and Eric did a good job. They shot 14 for 28. They shot 50% from the field. They had a combined only seven assists, which is not astronomical it's not huge but I think with coach Hornacek talked before the game we're going to see a lot more assists from different spots we're going to you know the team overall will probably average more assists than what they did last year but they'll probably be from different spots a lot of hockey assists happening with the way the pick and roll game is going to be designed Um, so overall this team like we're going to see what happens with them when they get things going um, but with Isaiah Thomas, I, I poked at Zach Sacktown royalty to ask them if this is something that happened a lot last year. There's one thing with Isaiah Thomas that bugged me a little bit, but he got away from it. He did it early in the game and then got away from it and was more productive and efficient later on. It's that thing where you beat your defender and you just got to throw that extra move down on the court real quick. Just that extra dribble, that extra fade, that extra step back, just that unnecessary extra move after you've already beaten your defender, and then throwing up the shot, which ends up being you know slightly more difficult or more contested. I kind of hope he works that out of his game, but a lot, pretty much everybody from Sacramento, when I threw that out on Twitter, said that's kind of Isaiah Thomas, is that he'll beat you, but sometimes he'll add a little extra razzle-dazzle to it. Hopefully that's something that goes away, but overall that guard trio did a great job, and I think the rotation will tighten up as preseason and the season starts up. What did you think of the the minute management there, and more importantly, those three point guards that everyone's so concerned about the minutes? Yeah, I don't think the minutes are that big of a deal, and uh, Coach was talking about that before the game. It's going to really be uh, based on who does well, and who's playing well gets to play more, and we'll just have to see how the season goes. Certainly, I think uh, everybody but Isaiah Thomas has conceded that it's Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic as the starters, with Isaiah Thomas coming off the bench. Uh, Thomas even said after the game tonight that that he has not been told by anybody that he's definitely not going to be a starter this year, but he'll do whatever the team wants him to do. He gets the feel, he kind of gets the idea, he knows what's going on, and he does. He says he doesn't care if he's starting or coming off the bench as long as he's playing important minutes and the team is winning. So, yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of concern in the back of my head that if the team, for some reason, isn't winning enough, Isaiah Thomas will be somebody who will say, gosh, you know what, we might be able to win more if I play more. Um, but I don't have anything to prove that that's the case, so I'm, I guess I shouldn't even worry about it until it actually happens. But he is a guy who's not willing to concede his starting position. It's kind of like what you said earlier, Chris, is he's taking the Sebastian Telpair tag that Telfair did a couple of years ago, saying he wasn't going to concede any time to Kendall Marshall uh, or Goran Dragic when when they were the three point guards. Can you imagine that? Just two years ago, Dragic was came over from Houston, had only started um, 20 games, uh, was competing with Sebastian Telfair and rookie Kendall Marshall 
as the top three-point guards on the Suns two years ago. Two years later, Dragas is better. He's all NBA. And you've got Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe as, as the other competition. I think, I think the Suns are in a lot better shape two years later than they were uh, before. Now it's just a matter of keeping all the guys happy. And I think as long as the Suns are winning and they're all getting about 28, 25, 30 minutes a game, I think they'll be happy. Yeah, and, and I the the analogy that I was making before was Tyler Ennis is in the Kendall Marshall shoes and you have Sebastian Telfair, or sorry, uh, Isaiah Thomas in the Sebastian Telfair shoes and then Goran is in Goran's shoes. And then you also throw in, oh, just for the heck of it, we have Eric Bledsoe on the roster too. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different situation because of that. But, you know... Ke- yeah, but, you- Goran's, but Goran's shoes now are a ton bigger than they were a couple yeah. years ago. He's a, he's a much better player than he was even just coming to the Suns a couple of years ago, even though he was pretty darn good then. Uh, and uh, I think, personally, I think Ennis is a better player than Marshall, but that remains to be seen. We haven't seen enough of Ennis to prove that. Exactly. And, and here's what you need to think about as well, and going back to that, what you mentioned before, and we won't spend too much time on this because we're talking about two years ago in the past of Suns history. Sebastian Telfair is trying to make the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kendall Marshall is trying to make the Milwaukee Bucks. Goran Dragic is the star and the face, more or less, of the Phoenix Suns, at least internally. Externally, we've talked about this. Eric Bledsoe is their biggest name, most marketable player. Um, Goran, internally and within the city and the state, is the guy that's the face of the franchise. But nationally, it's it's Eric Bledsoe. So, you know, they're they're in a better situation in that regard. When you think about it, is that you know Goran and Eric aren't competing for anything. They are the starters. They are the guys that are the faces of the franchise. They are the backcourt. Again, not two point guards. They are the backcourt of the Phoenix Suns from now until the Suns decide otherwise. Isaiah Thomas is your sixth man, your lightning bug, your lightning rod, your jitter bug. You talked about it when you see him on the court. It's like, wow, he is tremendously smaller than everybody else. But he's a guy that just he finishes well. He shoots the ball. He's tough. He's fearless. He's athletic, and and I like what he provides to the team. You know, it I, it, it kind of buries Tyler Ennis. It's kind of tough to swallow that they drafted him, but then they're gonna basically make him the third point guard on this roster. But you know, it is what it is. He played well. He'll develop. He'll get some time in Bakersfield. He'll get some time here in Phoenix. But, yeah, overall, like, the, the takeaways from this game are that this team's going to struggle with their front court depth. That was my my probably my biggest takeaway. The guards are going to be responsible for a lot of the rebounding. And this team really needs to kind of get in sync. Because right now they, just, they don't feel too in sync. Uh, and then my last takeaway is Archie Goodwin... Look tremendous, but then again, Archie Goodwin looks tremendous in summer leagues. He looks tremendous now here in the preseason, and he looks tremendous in those atmospheres when the NBA season starts. He's not in the rotation enough to look tremendous or look bad, but I really liked what I saw with Archie: his activity, his length, the defense, the finishing, fast break ability. Him and Eric Bledsoe really kind of formed a dynamic little duo there. So I'm interested to see if that chemistry continues into the regular season. Really like what I saw out of Archie Goodwin. You know, 29th pick a few years ago, and a guy that might be a major part of this rotation here when uh, in a few years. Maybe not right now, maybe not this year, but he's a guy that I can really see as he develops being a major part of this rotation. Only 20 years old in his second year in the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree with you, but um, I will put a little bit of uh, damper, you know, wet blanket on what you were saying about Archie. Uh, the problem still exists with Archie not trusting his outside shot, and the first uh, the first table slap of Jeff Hornacek getting really pissed off and hitting the table as hard as he could was when Archie, uh, for the second time in a row, passed up an open three-pointer to try to drive in and ended up traveling because he did that negative step 
or he stepped out of bounds. It was either a step out of bounds or it was a travel. And it was the Suns' 15th turnover halfway through the third quarter. And all Archie had to do was take the shot and trust himself and make it. Um, out of all those opportunities he had, he only took one three-pointer, and it came up short, and it looked um, pretty bad. So I think Archie still has to figure out how to make that and take that long-range shot. But he did. Uh, he is developing a little floater, and he's uh, certainly good at, at finishing and drawing the contact and all that. So, no, I loved how Archie was uh, active on defense and offense tonight. I thought he helped provide a spark as well. But um, he's, he still has a little bit to learn, and it's a good thing he's only 20 because he's got tons of time to learn it. I thought I was the guy that threw wet blankets on things. So if you want to see a wet blanket, go ahead and go over to Blazer's Edge uh, this morning here and check out the NBA preview that they put together where I personally participated in. So you can throw all your hate right at this guy right here. Um, but I, I spoke to it from kind of a black and white real perspective, not from a, an over-the-top you know perspective of saying the Suns are great. But yeah, go ahead and check out that wet blanket. I threw a little bit on the Suns. Um, not saying that they're a bad team, but the West is deep as all get out. So you can't take it as a negative. So a couple of teams are going to get left out of the playoffs there. But yeah, I mean, with Archie, yeah, that, that slap that you mentioned, that was a slap heard around the arena, by the way. I don't know if it was because it was just kind of an ep- empty arena, so the echo effect. But as soon as he slapped that, it made me almost jump out of my chair. And I'm probably, what, 200 feet away from from Coach when he made that slap on the side there of the barrier. Yeah, but, exactly. You were about 40 rows up. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and that made me jump physically. It almost sounded like, like if your dad slapped the table when you were a kid and you know that you were supposed to take out the trash and you didn't take out the trash, that was that slap when you just hit that table and you knew that that was directed at you you and you know Archie's got to learn how to trust that jump shot but three of three at the rim like you said floater had some nice finishes he didn't get credited for a steal but he did some nice things activity wise that I think caused a few turnovers and then got out and transitioned and did some nice things look overall this team is going to be very very perimeter oriented they're deep as any team in the league in you know recent memory of the league they're very very deep in the perimeter so some guys are going to get cut out of the rotation i think archie did some things to kind of prove that he deserves at least a few minutes in energy moments when the team needs something and overall you know it's flamengo we're going to see what happens with denver here um technically tomorrow because you guys will be listening to this podcast here on thursday what what can you expect based on what you saw here and you heard from the coach and the team what are your expectations for the denver game here on friday uh, I, I'm just looking forward to it. I don't really know. Uh, I don't have any expectations. If they don't play a lot better than they did tonight, then it's going to be a bad loss because Denver can blow you out. Um, but then again, Denver's got Brian Shaw as their head coach. They no longer have George Carl there. So they're not the blow you out kind of team anymore. They're kind of plotting, and their personnel doesn't quite fit the plotting uh, scheme that Brian Shaw wants to put in. So I'm not quite sure how Denver's going to do this year because I don't think the coach fits the personnel. Uh, but, you know, Kenneth Freed might make us all look bad in, in uh, again, not having drafted him uh, when he comes into town on Friday night because preseason is a perfect ragtag situation without any play calls where a guy like Kenneth Freed is going to look like a monster, a manimal, as he's called, and uh, he could potentially make Markeith look, at least defensively, um, like Markeith is a little bit inept uh, because – Marquise is not going to pull down 10, 12, 15 rebounds like a Fareed might do in 20 minutes simply because of his activity level. However, um, you know, Marquise might also step up and say, hey, this is a guy I need to prove that I'm better than because he just got a bigger contract than me. So 
So we'll see how Friday goes. I think finally on Friday they're going to recognize the other team. They're going to have scouted the other team because they know how the other team plays. So we might see a lot more cohesive Suns team on Friday. I just don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing that we are going to see a lot better effort from the Suns on Friday. Yeah, I mean, just to, to real quick, briefly preview that Denver team, they they dropped 114 on Oklahoma City tonight. They played their rookie, uh, Gary Harris, 25 minutes, and their other rookie, Jusef Nurkic, 18 minutes. So going back to that play your rookies against teams that aren't even NBA teams, they played their rookies uh, significant minutes in a big win against Oklahoma City. Big win. It's a preseason. Um, but It's a preseason. So you never know how Oklahoma City came into the game. If Oklahoma City came in expecting to do well or not. Um, in fact, I'm looking at the uh, box score, and Ibaka and Collison and Perkins did not play tonight, so they started Mitch McGarry at power forward. He played 36 minutes. Oklahoma City did. Um, and uh, Stephen Adams only played 21, and Kevin Durant only played 12, and Russell Westbrook only played 13 minutes. So I don't think we can take anything from the Oklahoma City Thunder-Denver Nuggets game uh, other than uh, the Nuggets' young players played pretty well, and they well enough to win. And Sebastian Telfair played 11 minutes, so bringing this all full circle back to 2011. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, Dave, exactly. so let's uh, let's go ahead and end this here for the folks uh, listening there at home. So, again, Friday night we play Denver at home, so get out to the arena. You know, 8,041 people saw the Suns knock off Flamengo in the first preseason game of 2014-15. Get out there and go see the second game. I mean, it's... It's preseason basketball, so it is what it is, but it's still basketball. You know, get out there and enjoy and support your sons and go out there and watch that game and, and you know, get some some time out there and, and kind of see what this team is trying to put together. Uh, Dave will be out there covering the game. Uh, I won't be there, unfortunately, but I'll be getting to listen to on sons.com, Espo and those folks doing their fun little stream that they're doing covering the team. I think that's real cool stuff that they're doing. But uh, beyond that, any parting thoughts, any uh, shout outs there at the end there for you, Dave? Uh, no, I just uh, want to say that uh, we're expecting also Sean Sullivan to be on site at the game as well on Friday. Uh, he's going to be going to occasional games this year, so I'm really excited to expand the Brightside family on the uh, game coverage going to um, Friday's game and, and hopefully a lot more games for the rest of the year. I try not to give him any credit for anything, but there you go. You did it, so it's not me, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> again, let's let's make this uh, let's make this go full circle. Thanks again, Archie Goodwin, for that shout out. Unprompted, unprovoked. I mean, we didn't ask for it. You just kind of came out there and just shout out the BS of the Suns podcast. So we appreciate that, uh, Archie. And look forward to another podcast next week, Dave. We'll have a couple of preseason games completed, and uh, you know we'll come back at you with another uh, Bright Side of the Sun BS of the Suns podcast here on the website. So I appreciate you guys listening. Check it out on TuneIn if you're not already, as well as on the website itself. And then we're working towards getting it on some other platforms for you guys. So we appreciate the support and the listen, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night.